Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. This week, our host, Dr. Lynn Coick, is joined by Dr. Bethany Miller. Bethany is a doctor of physical therapy, certified strength and conditioning specialist, and she earned a master's in spiritual formation and soul care from Talbot School of Theology. She is the Senior Director of Athletics at Biola University, where she was a former women's basketball coach and student athlete. Bethany is a wife and mom to three kids, two boys and a girl. Hi, Bethany. Thanks so much for joining us on the Alabaster Jar. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dr. Kohik. Oh, Lynn, please. (laughs) Yeah, Bethany and I have only known each other a short while through um, my participation at Biola, and that's where you work. You are the Senior Director of Athletics there at Biola. Uh, Very, very fun. You're a Biola grad, and you're a basketball player, and I'm a March Madness fan. Now, March Madness has already happened, and I just have to get this out there that uh, my brother is a graduate of UNC. So for the men's March Madness, as you can imagine, I am a very happy person. I was happy before because they beat Duke in the regular season and then during the finals. So, uh, yes, I think part that's uh, reveals a bit of the ungodly character that still needs to be changed in me (laughs) that I would rejoice at the defeat of my enemies. But anyway, it is what it is. but this year, let's talk about March Madness because that used to be a um, a label just restricted to the men's basketball. Um, but this year is it this year the first yeah. year they allowed the women to use that uh, use that label? That feels like a big win for women's sports, is it? It is certainly a big win for women's sports, and I would even say a big win for our culture. You know, I, I think that. Um, it's almost like sports, the way I view them, are, are a microcosm of what's going on culturally around us. And so when we when we see wins in an area like this, I think it actually shows us that, hey, we're growing in inclusivity and we're growing in respect. And we're actually, um, from a Christian perspective, honoring like the fullness of the beauty of like all of the people God has created in a new way. Um, and so, yeah, so I think it's a it's a big, it's a big deal, um, not only for um, for women's sports and and for women's basketball in particular, but certainly um, I would say even for for women in leadership and really across our culture. Yeah, yeah, that's good, and we'll we'll dig into that a little bit as we go along. But I wondered, just talking a little bit about your own history, were you always interested in sports, like even as as a girl? Yes. So I was the eight-year-old who was playing basketball with the boys at recess, playing soccer, um, challenging, you know, Ben in my class to a race to the fence and back because I knew I could beat him and I was the fastest one. (laughs) I was the fastest girl. I was the fastest kid as well in second grade. I I peaked though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I peaked at about eight. I think that's probably why I brought up eight. So so that was was about my, my, um, my claim to fame is, although I was still beating boys um, in basketball one-on-one all the way through high school. So, um, Ah. and and into college too, really, It, it just, you know, maybe not people who were actually on the team. So, <laughs> so, yeah, so I did. I, I always loved sports and um, yeah, just really have enjoyed play and enjoyed really forming relationships that way as well um, and getting to know people in that way. So it's just always been a part of how God has made me. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, do you, 
as I listen to that a little bit, it sounds to me like you've got a little bit of a competitive streak. Yes. So, yes. yes. And you so know, I, I, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I like to win a monopoly or whatever, whatever it I, is. I get that. Yeah. Enjoy you know, and um, I think that that's okay. Right. Like that, that, that's just okay. And um can be uh, something that the Lord really uses to uh, to help us grow and and to in, encourage others. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Do you see much change um, from the time that, like, you were an undergrad basketball player, and uh, and today? Because uh, you're maybe not coaching like you did before, but you're still very involved. You still see the athletes. Do you see much change over the last decade or so? In women and uh, women athletes, yeah, I do. I, I see change um, in in a number of places. When I think about, especially intercollegiate athletics and, and the world that that I've been existing in ever since I was an undergrad at Biola, so my experience at Biola was incredible. And then also watching kind of where we've come since since nineteen ninety nine to two thousand three when I was an undergrad here is really great. One of the things that I reflect on when I think about what has changed is having women in, in leadership in athletics. And I think that that's had a significant impact. I remember someone talking to me about, maybe you'll be the next AD at Biola. And I was like, absolutely not. I don't even know that women can be ADs. So it's just kind wow. of like not seeing myself there and also not seeing women represented in the highest levels of intercollegiate athletics. I think probably a decade ago, we might've seen maybe, I'm, I'm estimating because I around 8% in division two of female athletic directors. And now we're up towards 20% wow. of female athletic directors in division two. And so we're starting to see a growth in that. And then I think that that in itself has an impact on equity and inclusion um, because when people see themselves in leadership, they also, I think have feel like they have more of a voice um, in and in being able to represent the student athlete voice and, and what the needs might be for equity and inclusion that maybe people don't see or have blind spots in or, or don't care to see. Right. I mean, there's a whole spectrum um, when you take a look at equity. Oh, absolutely. You know, back in the day, so I think I was 10, 1972, when Title IX was established. So I went to high school and then college under Title IX, um, which prohibits sex discrimination based on sex for those institutions that take federal aid. Um, and, and I think there, I think that made a difference. I think even just in like women lifting weights, uh, or, or being in a locker room. I mean, that there was just a sense that women, women can, uh, enjoy physical activity in their, in their bodies. Like that was, that was an okay thing. But, uh, I was especially, I mean, that I, I mentioned the weight room because I was thinking of, was it last year, I guess, um, in, uh, in the news or in social media, Sedona Prince, uh, who is a basketball player from the University of Oregon. She did some videos um, of the weight room in her um, in her hotel complex when they were in Division I uh, basketball tournament. And those were contrasted with the men's weight room. And it was astonishingly different. It looked, I mean, the weight room for the women looked like you know, the workout room, the, the exercise rooms in a holiday in, you know, a couple of, uh, 15 pound weights and a treadmill, um, versus the men's weight room. Unbelievable. Um, can you tell the story a little bit for us of Sedona Prince and, um, 
and just how important her voice is to uh, to the changes that are happening in women's sports. Yeah, that was a beautiful moment for um, yeah for women's sports and to see Sadana basically take courage to say, I'm actually going to speak out about this and send a video also in, in a way that was very receivable. Uh, I, I watched a video of her um, where she was interviewed and she talked about, you know, I was really angry about this before practice. <laughs> and I took a video of what was going on. And then after practice, I thought, you know, let me just show what's going on rather than give my opinion about it. And I think that was really wise of her. I think when we put um, the truth and we hold it to the light and we let people take a look at it for themselves and form their own opinions that can actually be a lot more receivable and loving than trying to tell people what they should think about something. And so I think the way that she navigated that situation was really wise. And she talks a lot about how she's talked to, with her team and she's basically representing. And so, yeah, that, that video went viral, had 30 million views. Wow, <laughs> um, it it launched that. a whole investigation of equity when it comes to the NCAA. And there's been a lot of significant changes and she received a lot of a lot of support, you know, tweets from NBA players like Steph Curry and different people, right, that that really shared um, their disappointment with what was going on. Um, so, yeah, I, I just thought that was really courageous. And, and I've seen her represent herself and the University of Oregon very well as she's walked through that process and received a lot of attention, <laughs> a lot of attention for it. And that can be hard to navigate sometimes. And so I, I really respect her for her actions. Yeah, yeah. So that's one area in women's sports and at the collegiate level that, um where, where they're looking at um, what are the resources that women have? What are, what are some other, um, other stories that you might be following in, in your world of your Division II athletics, but maybe um, just broadly in women's sports? What, what are you paying attention to? Yeah, you know, there, there's a couple of things that I'm paying attention to. I mean, one of them, especially broadly speaking, is, is mental health. Uh, that's a significant uh, issue right now um, for our student athletes, and, and it probably has been for a long time, but the pandemic and social media and a lot of research have shown that certain things in our culture, and then, yeah, again, like a global pandemic on top of that and isolation socially that um, that took place because of that. And so, yeah, so I think mental health is one that we're really paying careful attention to. We, we saw um, some people drop out, right, of, you know, Simone Biles, who was very courageous and, and actually withdrawing um, from competition in the Olympics because um, she was having some mental health issues. And I think what's interesting about that is, again, the, the courageous nature of student athletes being willing to speak out and have a voice and feel empowered to do so and to start to um, perhaps understand that their identity, our identity, is not in our performance mm -hmm. and that we do need to take care of ourselves in a way that models what it's like to, yeah, to live holistically and to be um, yeah, to, to be someone who I think, I don't, I can't speak for Simone, but from a Christian perspective, that, that really embodies who we are in Christ and, um, and that, you know, our identity is in him and, and not in a performance or our value is not in these things that the culture might sometimes say is. And so I think we see a lot of significant things. So I continue to follow the mental health stories um, and people who are speaking out about that. Um, of course, we had Michael Phelps <laughs> years ago and, you know, there's just been different videos and, and the NCAA has been really on the front um, edge of that and trying to promote mental health at the NCAA um, broadly so that student athletes feel that they have the ability to speak out and they've got resources in that area. And so I think that'll be important for men and women in college sports. Um, there is one story that I followed during the Olympics that isn't related to um, challenges, but um, for me is one of my favorite 
stories or examples of what sports can produce in student athletes. So I don't know if this is the right time to share that. Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it, it just makes me think of um, of the beauty of sports and, and stories that I think should be more on the radar of people um, when they think about what intercollegiate athletics does, because so much of what we hear about sports and the media can actually be the challenges and the negativity rather than what sports is actually doing for women who participate in sports. And so one of these stories was of um, speed skating in the Olympics in Beijing in 2022. Um, and so it's very recent. And it was um, Aaron Jackson and Brittany Bow. Um, they were competing in speed skating. And Aaron Jackson was the favored uh, athlete in the 500 meter. And she uncharacteristically slipped at the beginning of her race in the, quali- in the U.S. qualification race. And so she didn't place in the top two. And so she wasn't going to be able to represent the U.S. And so Brittany, who's super close with her, really good friends, actually gave up her spot for Aaron to race in the Olympics and Aaron won gold and Brittany also competed in the thousand meter and I think was a bronze medalist there. And so that to me, I mean, I actually kind of get choked up a little bit. Oh, I I have goosebumps. (laughs) I hadn't known that story. That, that is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so I think when we see things like that in sport, um, that are so um, counter-cultural, so counter our own. I mean, you imagine, I just, I can't imagine being, both being Brittany or being Erin, <laughs> right? Like in those situations to have worked for something your entire life. I mean, she wasn't trying to qualify for the 500 meters because she didn't want to compete for the U.S. in the highest level stage. She wanted to compete, but yet she gave that up. And so it just makes me think of John 15 and Christ talking about greater love has no man than this than he or she who lays down their life for their friend. And that's what she did. And so I think there's some of the most powerful stories that sometimes go under the radar that are actually what sports does in people um, that can create when it's aimed in the right direction, the most sacrificial and self-giving love that really emulates who Christ has called us to be. Um, So I think that's one of the stories that I'm just hold on to and go, this is what, this is why we do what we do in athletics from five-year-old bunch ball soccer all the way through the highest level stage at the U S Olympics and and well, at the U S Olympics, the U S participating in the Olympics um, representing our country. Yeah. And that it, it seems um, kind of a pairing of opposites in that both these women, strong competitors, right? Strongly competitive. What is it about that environment being so strongly competitive that yet you would say, nope, you, you're the one that should go. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I'm, I, you know, I, I know that's not the, only time it happens. It probably happens at the high school level, college level. Um, What is it that sports also teaches us that we would have that like altruistic, you have both competitive and altruistic Mm -hmm. aspects. What what do you think's going on? Yeah, I, my belief about that would be the relational development, right? Mm -hmm. So, so Brittany and Aaron or teammates on any type of a team, have trained and put the work in together. So they've seen that sacrifice. They've even learned that self-denial. They've learned Mm. that, especially at the highest levels, right, to push through the suffering and the pain to get to that next level of competition. And so when you walk through something like that with someone shoulder to shoulder, side by side, I think it creates a space to see the greater good and the bigger picture. My sense is, though, this is a guess, One of the reasons Brittany did that is because Aaron is actually the very best in the world 
at the 500 meter speed skate. So my sense is it was not, it was a self-denial on her part because she knew Aaron could win gold and that she was favored. So she did it because she loves Aaron. And she also did it because she felt it was the right thing to do because Aaron was the best. So, so I think what, what sports can do for us, um, not only athletically, but I think it helps create in us a self-awareness of who we are if we're, if we're open to that. And if we've got enough space and enough um, security to see who we are. And so I think that at the highest levels, people know who they are. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. What they can do, what they're capable of um, to get to that level. And so my sense is there's this self-awareness that if we're open to it and secure enough, we can see who we are. And then that creates a realism and again, a truth of, um, of how we can do things the right way. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's very powerful. Let me, let me just pause for a minute for those many people, I include myself, who, who were not part of sports teams. I, I jogged, you know, um, around the neighborhood and uh, I actually, I, uh, rode horses. So I was mm-hmm. very, um, involved, uh, that way in at, you know, doing stuff, but I was never on a, on a sports team. And there are a lot of women who are, should I say, recreational athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, what do we gain by our daily walking or jogging or bicycling or yoga or, yeah. you know, however, um, whatever we enjoy doing? What's the benefit that way for us? Yeah. Well, there's, it's almost like, to me, I feel like there's two levels of benefit, right? There, there's some of the benefit that, that we think of that we kind of already know. It's like, well, we know that regular exercise impacts our mental, emotional health, um, that there are, of course, um, physical benefits from it, um, heart benefits, and um, even mood benefits, right? Um, so those types of things. Um, but I do believe that there's this deeper connectedness um, when it comes to how God has made us as em- embodied souls. <laughs> so when it comes to um, being able to do things even individually or take things on recreationally, like for, for myself, for example, so I, I played basketball, um, I played other sports in high school and then played basketball in college. And then after after college, I was like, well, well, what now? <laughs> like, what do I do to like, I don't have a, a, a purpose as I saw it for training. But what I did is I got into some more individual sports, more recreational things. I'm not good at them. <laughs> I'm, just a, I'm just a shuffler along the pavement, you know. Yeah, so, yeah I get it. I yeah, get it. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, no pretense here. So, um, But I got into triathlon a little bit and got into doing some longer yeah, some longer races and different things. And, and what I found in, in, those, in those things with... Some of those things when we, when we, um, yeah, when we walk and we jog, it, I, I feel like for me, it opened up myself to um, conversations with the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. I listen to worship when I run. I um, sometimes when I actually push myself really hard, I feel like there's um, even an openness to my own weakness, my own need, my own suffering. It's almost like this intentional. I read an article by Mike Austin in the Journal of Spiritual Formation and Soul Care, and it talks about, um, sports, but I would say activity um, as um, as an exercise in spiritual formation. And so I do think that when it's aimed that way, I think that, that any type of bodily, yeah, I mean, exercise can be um, an aim in, in spiritual formation and that we can open ourselves to, to who God has made us to be in a unique way um, through those experiences, kind of like art can or music can. I think exercise and sports and, and, and activity can do that um, as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, a, that's so good. I think, um, our, uh, women, uh, and maybe it's true for men, but for sure, women are constantly evaluated on how they look. And I feel like when you're exercising, when you're enjoying your body in, in the walk or the jog or the painting of, you know, a beautiful vista or whatever you do, you're, you're enjoying yourself. And it's not, it's not because of how you look or you're going to be graded or, or anything. It's just enjoying your body. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's a, it's a form for me. And I think broadly speaking of of receiving the love of God. And I think that can sometimes be one of the most difficult things. I think we hear about how much God loves us, but sometimes if we haven't experienced that in our life through relationships that maybe we would expect to receive them from, whether that's a parent or a coach or a family member or however, if we don't feel like we've received love or that we have to perform for it, or we have to do something special in order to receive it, then I think it's harder to do that. And so I think when we when we take care of our bodies um, in any of these ways, or we utilize our bodies in these ways that are beautiful and that how God designed us and created us to enjoy them and why he gave them to us and um, to experience his love as part of that. And to be able to, to receive that from him is a gift. And it actually is what helps us create that secure attachment and relationship with him that we can then, um, yeah, that we can then share with others. And so I really do think that, that it's a beautiful space to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, as you look at the young uh, women athletes, um, both uh, at Bi- at Biola and at schools that you go to when you're competing, what what encourages you about these young athletes? Yeah, yeah. So much. <laughs> I'm good, like, good. I'm like flooded with like, with like stories I could tell. Most recently, I've been at our PacWest Conference Championships with our women's golf team who won the, who won the PacWest Conference. Woo-hoo, all right. And, and with Go our Eagles and women's tennis team. And, um, and then, and then also with our men's and women's track and field team. And I think that people think of sports kind of as a, um, yeah, I think they think of the more, um, intensity and the more um, kind of the competition aspect of that. But what I've seen is, is so much of the joy and almost the art to it, you know, the art to, um, to the way that coaches are, um, are caring for and loving their students and building them up and um, sharing with them and motivating them and, um, and playing pickleball with them after a tennis tournament or a tennis match, right? Or I'm um, in just enjoying a relationship together. And so what encourages me to see our young women is just the, the confidence, um, the, the love for themselves and others that's cultivated so naturally when there's healthy leadership in sport and healthy sure. coaches that are leading that process and how, what an incredible impact that can have on them individually. And, um, and it actually makes me think of a question that I wanted to ask you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Of, Turn the tables. That's all right. You're the coach. You're the coach. You get to do this. So one of the things that we see in our student athletes is this incredible, and it's, and it's researched, right? Like for women in sport, I think what was, what was one of the things that I, that I saw for women in sport um, when it comes to like, Um, 80% of female executives at Fortune 500 companies identified themselves as former tomboys, quote, having played sports. So when you think about leadership development and what sports does for women um, and and cultivating these strengths and this confidence, 
we see so much in that resilience and work ethic. And um, but what we what we were working with our student athletes on is how to translate that into a resume, particularly when you're an NCAA Division two or I think probably Division one, maybe Division three. I'm not as familiar with it. Student athletes, so much of your time is spent in sport, and it can be hard. You know, over summer you're, you're doing internships, you're trying to do career preparation. So my question for you is, what have you seen? You've had such an amazing leadership journey. You've, you've taught church leaders and pastors and you're a provost and you're, you're just at the executive level and you've, you've worked with so many people. What do you see within athletics and student athletes in particular in women that translates that maybe they might need to know, like, this is how I need to present myself in an interview and a resume with confidence and with, with knowledge that, that athletics has really trained me in a special and unique way to know who I am and to see who I am. But how do they translate that into an interview and a resume in a way I think that's winsome? Because that's what we're working with our with our mm-hmm. females in sport at Biola. So I I, I wanted I wanted to pick your brain on oh, that. Oh, you know, it's a such a great question. Yes. And you touched on a word that I was uh, that I was thinking about as you were talking, that is confidence. I think that uh, whether it's team sports or like individual in tennis, or in my case, um, equestrian, Mm. Um, because our kids, um, we have a son and a daughter, and they were uh, riders. So you go into the ring, they were show jumpers, you go into the ring by yourself, of course, the horse is doing a lot of the work, but you you're working there too, and takes a lot of courage, um, a lot of effort, a lot of devotion. Um. To me, those things can then be presented um, in in some intangible ways, like you show up mentally ready. So in an interview, you show up ready. There's a phrase, uh, you should take the first fence well, and it's, you know, what it it's actually true. I mean, when you're taking a course of fences, if the horse is in a good stride, and so takes that first fence well, you can kind of settle in and the horse feels comfortable and you go well. And I imagine it's similar if you get that first serve in, right? It's like, okay, now we're ready to go. Or once you make your first uh, basketball shot, it's like, ah, okay, now I'm in my rhythm, you know? And so uh, as an athlete, you, you recognize the importance of starting out well and solid and getting your rhythm. And I would hope that that could um, help in an interview. And then also as an athlete, there's going to be times I certainly where you muff a fence, get in too close, take off too long, drop a rail. Um, in basketball, you've missed your three easy layups, you know, and maybe in an embarrassing way. And, you know, in the second set, you couldn't put the serve in if you picked it up and laid it down in the square, you know, I mean, but the third set you won. Or the fourth time you got to the free throw line, you made both buckets. It's like you got back up in the saddle and you <laughs> fell off. Um, those are the those. That's a resilience that when you're in the game, you got to just keep playing. So I would say that would be another thing for young women athletes translating that into the job interview or the first couple of weeks on the job. You actually have it within yourself if you cast your mind back and remember those games that you you kept going. It was important to go. And when you lose a game, you have the next game to do better. And that that resilience is, uh, it I think, could be incredibly helpful 
for, for anyone, but certainly for younger women who don't yet have the kind of, um, job experience, but they do have this sports experience that there's just a lot of parallels that way. So those would be things I, I could see being helpful. I love that. Those are <laughs> oh, good. I answered well. I was getting a little nervous there. <laughs> no, the resilience. Um, yeah, I, I just, it, I, I resonate, you know, playing basketball throughout um, I, I, it was the first sport I played, which, which actually I didn't start until I was nine. I didn't play on a formal team until I made the team in middle school. And actually basketball has been one of the hardest things and has put me through the most suffering and not just physically, actually mostly <laughs> relationally and, you know, just really challenging experiences being bullied in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so many different things that I've gone through. Um, and I, I just think about the resilience that it takes. And I think it really has shaped me into who I am and, and having a, um, yeah, a resilience and a, a stick to itiveness that I, that I've kind of come to realize like, no, like we can do hard things and we can, yes. you know, and we can advocate and we can influence and we can hold our ground. And, um, and that's not always expected. I think of women in leadership in some, in some environments, there's kind of an expectation of being a little bit more soft and, um, and then the other piece, the confidence, it certainly has developed confidence. Uh, and I see that in our, in our female student athletes. And I was at baccalaureate last night. And, and one of the things that President Corey was talking about is that confidence and, and, in, in our faith and that it actually means <laughs> confide with faith, like with trust and who God is. And if we truly, um, are, 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 are trusting who God has created us to be and that we can walk into a room and that he's prepared us um, with confidence um, to be able to step into a space and that, and that if that's the job we're going to get, that he has already paved the way and we need to basically step into um, what he has, what he has given us if we're interviewing or preparing a resume. So anyways, those things just both really resonated with me and made me yeah, think about good. Good. things from my experience. <laughs> and, and I would love to, um, just have as, as we uh, are coming to the close, I don't want to uh, leave without hearing some of your thoughts on how uh, adults can be good coaches. I'm thinking, you know, a lot of parents are on their kid, they coach their kids' teams, so kind of in informal senses. And then um, uh, our son was in uh, high school um, sports and we wanted to support coaches, you know, so even myself not being a coach, nevertheless, I wanted to support coaches. Um, what, what are some of the things that uh, to be a good coach, mm-hmm. y- you need to have and, uh, and how can parents come alongside and help their kids coaches? Yeah, such an important question. I have my, my oldest who's seven is on his first club soccer team. So oh, how fun. Oh my this road in the early <laughs> yeah. stages. So yeah, so how how do how would I advise coaches? I think it's really important for coaches to know their why and to be honest about it. And if their why is winning, that's going to create a really tough environment. Um, so I would advise coaches to be sure. And the best coaches, as we've seen at the highest levels, are about the whole person development are about our, our Pat summit and seeing all of their student athletes graduate are, are about the character development and the virtue development, I would say for 
their athletes at every level, whether that's, again, seven-year-old club soccer or whether that's in March Madness for our Division I um, female student athletes at Oregon, right? It's, it's about those types of things. And so how that translates for a coach is they have to continually communicate that. If we don't, if we say a vision at the beginning of the year, this is why we do this and we're about this, it can really easily slip away mid-season if you're not constantly reorienting to the vision of why are we doing this and what are we learning and how are we growing and what are the actual outcomes we're looking for as far as being teammates and as far as what we're going through for this season. And if it's a coach who can look at their team after a really difficult loss and say, I wouldn't trade any of you for anyone else. You are my team. You are my people. You belong here. I value you. You gave it your best. Or maybe they didn't. Maybe they messed up and it was. They weren't focused. But but I love you. Like That's what this is about is creating this sense of being able to have an identity and, and who God has made them to be and not in performance. And so that's how I advise coaches. Parents to a whole nother level. <laughs> I grew up with parents. I was so fortunate to grow up with my mom and dad and, and my older and younger sister and my younger brother, where we got to enjoy sports just as they were. We, we didn't get critiqued. We didn't get pushed to do a certain sport. We were able to make choices. Our coaches were respected. And we were just being, we were just able to to love them for what they were and what they offered and, and being able to, um, yeah, to, to have fun with them and to see them for what they were just a, a, a means to an end, not the end in themselves. And so I think if parents can not critique their kids and just love them and be with them and support them and ask them what they're learning and how they're growing, I think that's the most important thing. And that's actually what will help students and and children want to continue to play is because they enjoy it. And it actually creates a positive relationship for the most important relationships in their like family of origin or or whomever is with them um, in their lives. And so I think those are the most important things that coaches and parents can do. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank, thank you so much, Bethany. I appreciate you coming on the Alabaster Jar and talking with us about this, what I think is such an incredibly important topic on women and sports um, just impacts, uh, impacts us all. So thanks so much. Really appreciated it. Thank you so much for having me, Lynn. It was a joy. Thanks for joining us this week on the Alabaster Jar. We love bringing you new conversations every week. So if you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Bethany Miller, please subscribe and share with a friend. And if you would like to hear more from Dr. Lynn Coick, check out her new Seminary Now course on New Testament women using the link in today's episode description.